Hey guys, Bryce here from Flex Cortex. All content on the Flex Cortex podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes. It is not a substitution for medical advice from a qualified health professional. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. happening guys welcome to this week's episode of flex cortex today i'll be speaking with nick ridpath nick is a fellow prescript level one coach and is the owner of unbranded fitness which is an online and in-person personal training company he also currently works out of dmv iron gym which is located in alexandria virginia which is in the states Um, so today nick and i will be talking about some exercise progressions and regressions and how to program these accordingly for your clients um, basing it off of real life in-person coaching um, or if you're in the online space. So he gives a little bit of light on both of those with his experience. Um, so if you want to follow Nick on his Instagram, it is at Nick Ridpath. So N-I-C-K-R-I-D-P-A-T-H underscore. Um, he does post on there like every day or close to. So a lot of good content put up by him. And then his, uh, he has a link tree, so I will tag his link tree in the caption. So if you guys want to check him out on there, that'll have all of his links for his online and for his in-person coaching services. So big shout out to him, and I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. So what got you into personal training to begin with? Um, so I'll go back to just training in general. So what got me into training was uh, sports, so I, I played all sorts of sports growing up, football, basketball, baseball, um, really was into football. So I got in the weight room first when I was you know, like 11 or 12 years old, um, which a lot of people see as kind of early. And I actually have a lot of experience training younger kids too. So that's maybe a different topic when we get down the road a bit. Um, but yeah, I played sports all through high school, hit the weight room hard. Um, and I was always like bigger than everybody growing up. So like on the field, I always excelled just from the fact that I was larger than everybody. Um, but it got to the point around like when a lot of kids were hitting puberty where their athleticism was catching up to my size. So um, there was a year where I really knew like I, I had to put some work in in the weight room if I wanted to, um, you know, keep up. So yeah. got really into the weights in high school. Uh, there was a point where in all that time, I got really like reading articles on bodybuilding.com. Obviously the best source possible for all sorts yeah. of training knowledge recommended to everybody all the time. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so I ended up playing uh, football at the College of William Mary, and then um, I wanted to go the clinical route. So I spent a lot of time in college shadowing at a PT clinic and working in a PT clinic. Um, and then my senior year of college, I started applying to PT schools, and you know, kind of as like decision time came around, like the closer we got to it, the more I realized like I really wanted to do training, because you know, P- not not to shit on PTs or anything, but it's just like. I can do a lot of the same stuff in, in a gym that you could do in a PT clinic minus like touching people and like, um, and treating injuries, right? Like you can't treat people, um, yeah. as a personal trainer, but, uh, yeah. So like once I graduated, that's uh, kind of when all the, the COVID shit hit as well. So I just got into training, um, started my own business and then quickly transitioned into a, um, a strength and conditioning job. So, uh, I was helping out. I wasn't helping out. I was, I was managing a small sports performance gym, um, and doing all the programming for like close to 80 kids. Yeah. Um, so 
did that and then I um, moved up to the DC area now I work in DMV Iron Gym so while I was in the sports performance uh, gym we were actually like it was kind of a weird setup it was like the the guy who owned the gym was a, a physical therapist who owned several clinics so kind of like half of the gym was a PT clinic the other half was um, sports performance so when I wasn't doing sports form and stuff, I was training people who were doing like continuation of care after their, whatever they're in PT for. So whether it was like a back injury, uh, after a knee replacement, shoulder replacement, um, stuff like carpal tunnel, whatever. There's a lot of people who their insurance ran out, they were cleared for exercise. So they wanted to keep training. So they would train with me. So I got a pretty, uh, a pretty wide, uh, array of experiences there. So it's going between training like eight to 30 year old athletes all the way up to training like an 80 year old grandmother who had carpal tunnel and just wanted to keep moving or wanted to be able to put her luggage, uh, you know, in the overhead bin. She was going on a trip that summer. Yeah. See a nice mix of clients with that. Yeah. And then now I mainly do gen pop, uh, at DMB iron. And then I do a little bit with bodybuilding clients as well. There's some natural guys who reached out to me. I wasn't ever, ever actually planning on getting into that just cause I have no skin in the game and I never do plan on competing, but, um, yeah, I do, I do programming for a few guys in that regard. I don't deal with the nutrition stuff just because, like, yeah, if I'm never going to do it myself, I don't feel like I should justify doing it for somebody else. Whereas the train, the training side of things is a little bit different, you know? Yeah. Well, the training is more or less just, like, volume, exercise selection, order stuff, and then just looking at them and, you know, or even if they have a nutrition coach, then, like, they could be looking at their posing and being like, this is what needs to be brought up. And then for you, that's probably not that hard to factor in no it's like what are your weak points let's focus on your weak points and especially like during prep like you're not going to get a lot of progress as far as muscle development goes just because you're in a, a calorie deficit uh, but yeah, like, what are your weak points what are your calories at like just like keep me somewhat updated on like how low your calories are and then it's like subjectively how are you feeling how's training going are you feeling like shit are any injuries coming up how's performance tracking performance and keeping performance you know training up for as long as possible yeah uh, and then a lot of it's mobility too i don't think a lot of some coaches won't focus on that but like a lot of posing needs to you need to be mobile for it right right you so have to, build to actually do it yeah i mean i'm lucky in the regards where like all my guys are are, are natural so they aren't like overly huge so i think you see a lot of that that those issues come into play with the guys that are just like massive um this but you know yeah. none of these guys i mean these guys are all jacked but none of them are like so grossly huge they can't move well yeah yeah and it's it's interesting that you you mentioned uh like to bounce back bible.com so i think everybody starts with that yeah that's like well at least like <laughs> maybe like closer to our age age range and then like the older guys it's all like like t nation yeah, yeah, yeah i remember just running 21s for like I was like, oh, look at this arm finisher or looking at um, Jim Stepani's like shortcuts to size or shreds. <laughs> yeah, or looking at like Laurent Landry's uh, arm program, the dude that played safeties, uh, safety for the skins and for yeah, some yeah. reason got sponsored by bodybuilding.com because he was just yoked. Yeah, yeah. I, I, don't know, I, think, I think it's good though because it obviously gave us the exposure that we needed to just get involved in fitness in general. I mean, like, was it all effective volume at the time? No. Was it a like effective programming, but it kind of got you exposed and it gave you like at least something based off of like sensational training. Cause like, I'd say now that like doing a lot of that stuff, I can actually 
feel my muscles if that's the, the terminology we want to roll with but which yeah. I think is an important thing yeah and like also just like it gets you in the gym it gets you training hard because all those programs are really hard like they're because it's way too much work most of them are way too much volume <laughs> so like gets you in the gym gets you training hard then it also just gets you like in the pursuit of knowledge when you get down the rabbit hole of like reading those articles or reading those forums like you're already in pursuit of figuring things yeah. out so whether you're figuring out yeah. the wrong shit or not like it gets you on the right track of like at least like going down the rabbit hole and trying to figure out more about training it was also free and i had no job so we'll exactly. start with that <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah especially when i was like 14 going through bodybuilding.com like where else was i gonna yeah. go <laughs> it was i was like okay do i want to buy training or do i want creatine and protein <laughs> yeah. creatine and protein always wins <laughs> easy choice because creatine is basically steroids <laughs> this is what my mom thought anyways or she still thinks to this day yeah that was like one of the biggest like fights with my parents especially my dad I was like trying to take creatine and trying to convince them that like it wasn't gonna be like steroids yeah then they see that you don't change that much and you're like well yeah it's because it's, it's not steroids but yeah you add like five pounds to your bench press and that's it <laughs> still still though yeah, yeah so you so you went to college and then is that, did you do your like personal training through your college then? Is that, was that in? No. So I played, I played uh, football almost the entirety. So I didn't have time to do work. Otherwise I would have, I would have got trained into personal training probably. Um, yeah. So I did my degree and my degrees in kinesiology and health sciences. I did more of the clinical track. So I was between doing either like physical therapy or, or um, I debated going to med school at one point, but I, I'm terrible at math. and I didn't want to take all the, calculus classes and shit so it's kind of like okay pc it is okay. so i went like the free clinical route and took all the classes for that nice. uh then it, it wasn't really until the end of my senior year or my senior year where i got certified as a personal trainer okay so you so you did your, your degree so that was like uh was it four years for you yeah then? four year four year degree okay, okay. yeah there you go nice <laughs> So then you decided that, uh, what made you want to switch over to more of the PT stuff? Like, I guess we should clarify, right? Cause PT is an openly used term here, the personal training stuff versus the physio stuff. So what made you want to work more with people in gen pop versus working in like a clin a clinic with people? Right. This is, that's a very important, uh, clarification. Cause I feel like every other country says physio and we always say PT in the States, like PT is physical therapist. And then like. It can also synonymously be used as like a, a personal trainer. But yeah, um, I mean, like I, I had always like trained my friends and, and like trained a few people in the gym without being certified, um, you know, Did probably since probably since I was like 18. Uh, so yeah, I'd been doing that and I always really enjoyed it. And I really enjoyed like once I started getting into the clinic, I realized like I was kind of bored with a lot of the like more remedial work. And then I realized also that I was able to apply like a lot of the concepts that I was learning in the clinic to my own training and also to like the people who I was training. And I was like, wow, like, like the more, the more I get into this, the more I realize that like, I don't necessarily need to keep going to school for three more years just to get out and do a lot of the same things that I can do regardless if I just do personal training. And also like being in the gym and like having people crank out weights way more fun than having, you know, uh, Peggy doing the TheraBand for 30 minutes while you set a, a 10 minute alarm for her. Yeah. 
or it's like this week you did the blue, so next week we're doing the uh, green. Yeah, it's like the the blue blue uh, blue band's getting a little easier. Let's go up to the red band this week. That's your progression. <laughs> and I'm gonna keep billing your insurance for. And I'm not shitting on PTs, but like that's just kind of like, you know, that's like the I, that's the career part that I didn't want with that. Yeah, yeah, that's why like I have respect for a lot of physiotherapists that like let's say I have a client that's going to physio. I have a lot of respect for physios that are like, no, like stay in the gym, stay working out and like keep moving. And that, cause you hear it so many times where they're like, no, we want you to stop training as frequently and like, you know, rest more and stay at home. It's like, well, realistically the, the recovery that you need is going to be just from movement in general. Yeah. It's just a matter of just keeping them on their feet. So I have respect for people that are trying to actually like help them get out as soon as possible too not just keep yeah. them on like the, on the payroll. Yeah. Well, I, I was, I was lucky that, um, the, the physical therapist that I interned on, they were all like really good. Um, yeah. The guy who owned the clinic, uh, Ron Madri, total motion, shout out total motion, uh, in, in Blacksburg, Virginia. He's probably one of the best VTs, uh, in, in the state for sure in the country as well. So I was really lucky. I got to learn from him for a while while I was in college. And then actually when I graduated, he hired me in his gym to, uh, manage the sports performance side of things. So I got to work with him for a while and we always had conversation about like, you know, differences in application between what he does and what I do, difference between like Phyllis the librarian and like, you know, eight year old athletes to 20 year old athletes. So we had a lot of really cool discussions and like got to really distinguish between like our two different professions and then like how much of that really has a lot of overlap. Yeah. A lot of it, right? And like I've had other people come on here too and it's like if they're if they're seeing their physio once a week, but they're with you three times a week, it's like you're really seeing them more. And I think a lot of PTs overlook a lot of the other aspects of training versus just the time that they're actually in the gym or the impact that we have on them overall, like their overall just health. Um, just because if we're with them for three hours of the week, it's like, well, what are the, we have to track a lot of other metrics and factors with them as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So how do you find like the in-person training versus the online stuff? So when did you actually start your own company? Cause I know unbranded fitness is your thing. Um, yeah. so when did you take the leap from going to that and how do you find your in-person versus your online? So I kind of started all together. Like at the, at the same time I got into in-person and online, um, just cause I had a few people who were interested in doing online training a few people who, who had like trained with me before, um, like buddies, you know, stuff in that regard. So kind of started all at once, you know, you realize pretty quickly that there's a, there's a very big difference. Cause once you get in-person experience, you realize what really matters and what people are going to yeah. listen to and what issues are going to, you know, come to fruition. Um, and especially with like the online queuing. So like in the note box for an exercise, like what am I going to put to help this person execute this exercise, even if they can see it, you know, so you realize like the more you do in person, the more of like cues that are going to work better. Uh, you realize that like as a general rule, you should probably start like one regression less or, or one like one regressed exercise more than what you would normally start somebody with just because like it, it's hard to like truly assess somebody to the best degree in an online setting. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's more so with like, you know, more gym pop clients. People have been training for 10 years or, or whatever. It's a lot easier. Yeah, they can kind of do whatever. Um, but yeah, there's 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 a very big distinction and like a big mistake is a lot of people start out 
only do it online and they never get any in-person experience. Um, and you kind of miss out on all those things. And it, it, it can be a big deal for online clients as far as getting them results is like knowing where to start them and knowing what you need to do, anticipating them doing things incorrectly because you're not there to correct everything for them. You know, no matter how many videos they send you, uh, how many check-ins they do, like there, there's still like a small difference at least. Yeah, there's a discrepancy, right? And there's like always going to be that gap because you're not there all the time with them. Yeah. And you can't be, right? And like the chances of them always sending you videos too or like being 100% transparent about how things are going as far as like their energy levels or how training actually went that day. Like you're not going to always be able to be on top of it. And even if you're trying to be on top of it, like it's it's harder for them to always meet you halfway. Yeah. And then like especially in like a day-to-day setting. So like, you know, if if you have an in-person client you're seeing three or four days a week, then they come in on a Thursday and like, man, my overnight shift last night kicked my ass. Like I slept two hours. It's like, okay, it's easy. Scrap all the free weights, only doing machines, uh, you know, dropping down on the intensity a bit. Yeah. Versus like, you know, if, if somebody's in the online setting, they might message you and say, Hey, I slept two hours last night. What can I do? You know, like the communication, the communication is almost optional from that, from that regard versus like, if it's in person, like you're going to ask them, you're going to see it. You're going to be able to make real time adjustments. It's easier yeah. to be a coach. Yeah. yeah. I was just about to say, you're, you're able to do the coaching stuff without actually having to do it intentionally. Like you're able to just look at them and base and base that session kind of off of how they walk in. But like with an online client, the chances of them actually messaging you will be probably pretty slim unless they're like getting hurt. So unless they're like, oh, oh, I actually, I hurt, I hurt myself today, but it's probably because I only got two hours of sleep. And you're like, okay, well, you, you're telling me this now. It's because it's after you got hurt or after, you know, stuff to move you the way you wanted it to move. So. Right. It, it just depends on the client too. Cause like, you know, I have online clients who message me every single day. I have other people who check in with me once a week. Um, yeah. And like, if I don't hear from somebody for like three or four days, I always reach out to them. But most, most coaches aren't messaging their clients every single day if they don't hear from them. No, no. And like you, I don't know, you shouldn't really be needing to, like if your clients are wanting to, like I always make myself as available as I can to my clients. Like if I'm like, Hey, send as many videos as you want. And like, if you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out. But you also, like you said, shouldn't have to be the one messaging them every day right right yeah um so kind of getting into the exercise side of things um how do you because i know you just mentioned a little bit earlier that with your online clients you'll typically start them off as something like a little bit more regressed so that way you're able to like establish movement mechanics before you actually base it like the progression scheme um so for a client like let's say that they're in person Mm -hmm. uh, and online so how do you know when a client is ready for a progression? So like, what do you look at some metrics of and like, what do you base things off of before trying to progress them? Yeah, so I'd say there's a, there's a qualitative and a quantitative aspect of that. So qualitative being like, what's the, what's the quality of movement? Because um, yeah. especially with things like joint stability, it's hard to quantify that. It's kind of like an eyeball thing, right? Like, are they, are, I mean, you can't quantify it in regards to like, okay, I want you to be able to cut a bell bottoms under press a, 30 pound kettlebell over your head, but still there's quality to that movement. You know, you, you need to be doing that correctly. Um, and I care a lot more about quality of movement than, than quantity of, of volume or, you know, intensity with load as far as like going into a progression. Uh, so yeah, I mean, a lot of it's just eyeballing it. So are they proficient in the movement? 
Um, are they checking all the boxes in that regard? And then can they check all those boxes as they acquire a certain amount of volume? So depending on the exercise, like, you know, can they do two, three, four sets of X number of reps and can they maintain that quality of movement across those? And then another thing is too, is like, do you need to progress them yet? So depending on the exercise, like, is it an exercise where you want that runway of progression to go for as long as possible? So, you know, if I can keep adding uh, volume or keep adding load across like 12 weeks, 16 weeks on an exercise, like, am I ready to progress them? What are their goals? Like, is there a certain exercise that we're trying to progress them to, which would make more sense to progress, progress them as soon as they're ready? Uh, or is it going to be an exercise where we want to just keep milking that progression for as long as possible? Yeah. Yeah, I think that that makes a good point. It's like when I first started PT, I think a lot of it was just the confidence, but also the knowledge base that I had at that point in time. And thinking that like an exercise had an expiry date and thinking that like, oh, just because I ran this for a block with the client, like I have to progress it. But I think just as I've developed as a coach, and like you mentioned too, you can actually milk it and you can actually like keep that exercise in, especially if that client is just starting to see progress progression with it. But then you can also play with like tempo, play with like, you know, ISOs, play with all that stuff, because then you're actually still able to utilize that movement in that position and like build more capacity in it. Right. So it's like, it's a good way of training and thinking um, versus just being like, okay, well, we ran this for four weeks. So like now it's time to give you some sort of progression from it. So we're going to go like unilateral or whatever. Yeah. Like your four week blocks over. Okay. New four week block coming in your inbox next week and be all new exercises because that's what we do every four weeks. Nah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's like, how do you, and then that's the thing with the online spaces. That's hard. Right. Is, um, sometimes you don't know how it's actually moving for a client or how it's to go in for a client. So that's why it's hard to preemptively actually progress something or to preemptively regress something. Um, just because you don't actually know what the quality of that movement is, like you mentioned before, or their confidence in that movement. Cause it's like, you could, you could assume based off of their experience level and how much time they've actually been in, in the space for by how they should be moving theoretically, but hypothetically and like actual or completely different things to base it off of. Yeah. That's the thing too, is like in the online setting, I almost never want to assume unless it's somebody I know pretty well. So it's like something I know pretty well and I've seen it move before, like that's when I'll assume, but like, yeah, I, I always, I always assume to assume that they're worse than what I assume. Cause you just assume a lot. I want someone yeah. to think on that for a second. Yeah. And that's, that's why, like you mentioned before, like having like some sort of note section with like essential cues are so important. Um, but then also like sending some sort of video for reference uh, just because at least the client can then be like, oh, that's like, this is how they actually want it done. Because I'm sure you can relate. There's been so many times where I'm like, oh, um, you're getting back pain during an RDL. Can I see how you've been doing it? And it's like not even remotely close to an RDL. It's like, I don't know, man. It's something else that I've just never seen before. But you're like, okay, that's probably the problem. Yeah, it's like basically a low bar squat with dumbbells yeah. in their hands and the dumbbells yeah. are tracking over their toes somehow. Like, yeah, yeah. And you're like, okay, well, that's not right at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess to, again, kind of just like bounce off of that, um, obviously there's some things to know when somebody needs to progress a movement, but what are some things you look at when a client needs to regress an exercise or when you think they need to regress an exercise? Because usually... I've found that there will be sometimes 
some hesitation or some resilience from the client sometimes but wanting to regress because things like a psychological thing the client doesn't want to see they see a regression as like a step back um so how do you work with that and then how do you let them know what's up yeah i like that question a lot because there's kind of a few different things to unpack so we can go back to like the whole like day-to-day thing so in person you're seeing every movement you're getting that real-time feedback um so you can you can very quickly adjust and, and make very easy regressions and progressions as necessary. So like every regression and progression based on the exercise you're doing should be like, you know, you can a few seconds you can change it. So like day to day, depending on stress, depending on how they're moving, um, you can make those quick adjustments versus like uh in, in the more of the online setting, it's gonna be more of like a performance base or even in the in-person setting. So if we're pushing an exercise for you know six, eight, ten, twelve. 16 weeks we're really just tracking uh tracking progression there and then i like to think of things in terms of like relative versus absolute load so across like block one to let's say block four five six it's probably going to be a trend in absolute load increasing uh and then like relative intensity will be kind of the same so absolute load being like a cable will be less weight than a plate loaded machine right so we can train both of those at rp9 or rp10 but one's still going to be absolutely heavier than the other. So while the intensity is gonna be the same, one's gonna have more of it, an effect on recovery. Same thing with like dumbbells versus barbells, uh, you know, like you're gonna hit RPE 10 at the same uh, same rep range with a much lighter weight with dumbbells versus uh, with a barbell normally, unless you're a weirdo. So kind of like watching that progression and as we progress as performance trending up, and then that's when we kind of get the idea of like, oh, I hit a plateau, well, are you actually hitting a plateau? Are you being impatient? Okay, maybe it's actually hitting a plateau. Looking back at our programming for the last 20 weeks, okay, we've been training up in intensity across 20 weeks. That's a long time. Maybe it's time to regress back to the beginning of that spectrum with maybe uh, something that's going to be the lightest in terms of modality, uh, absolutely speaking. So that's when like it's kind of like you have to speak to your client about, hey, we've been pushing it for 20 weeks. You know, your body's taking a beating, you know, performance is kind of taking a shit here. Let's go back to that starting block and let's just start it over again. And the good thing with that too, is like it, you can keep relative intensity high all the time. So like training RP 10 with a cable row is probably not going to fuck you up too bad versus, yeah. you know, it, the more you keep progressing in terms of absolute low with the modality, whether it's like plate loaded, whether it's barbell, like that's where it's going to catch up to you more. Yeah. 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 And I think this ties in a little bit nicely too with like, I just did a video recently on just like deloading. Um, mm-hmm. So I do think that deloads like have utility, but I do think that they're often over-programmed. So I think that like people will base it off of like a hypothetical schedule of like, okay, well you should have one every four weeks, but unless like intensity, unless volume and unless like frequency and recovery, like actually require a deload, like I don't actually think deloads are actually going to be needed every four weeks. So it's like, it's, it's important to just know like, how your client's doing, but then also having that relationship with them and being able to talk with them and being like, okay, well, I'm giving you a deload because of this, or it's like, you need a deload because of this. Or if you're not giving them a deload, it's like, okay, well, you're having that talk about, we are dropping intensity, we're dropping volume and we're dropping frequency a little bit just to like allow recovery. Um, but then it also does create awareness for them about like, okay, this is areas that I need to improve as a client or as an athlete, um, just because they can obviously like take that and actually 
use that for their own progression scheme as well and like just their overall training or just life in general yeah it's also just like knowing who your client is right it's like a barbell client someone who's really pushing weight on the barbell is probably going to need a deload much faster than like a gen pop client who really probably isn't training hard enough uh, or long enough to require a deload after four weeks or even like a bodybuilder building client who like if you give them a deload every four weeks you're probably going to be um we're really losing a lot of the advantage you can be having as far as hypertrophy goes uh, and, yeah. and, and pushing yeah. performance. So like, depends who your client is, you know, what's the goal? Is the goal to just like get in shape? Is the goal to put on muscle? Is the goal to get stronger? Um, yeah. You know, are they a competitor? Are they a gym pop client? You know, who are they? And once you kind of understand a lot of those things, it makes a lot more sense as well. And you don't have to follow this very generic scheme of like, okay, we're going to go three on one off until you die. Or we're going to go, you know, six, six weeks. And then you have a two week deload. You know, I, I don't know. I remember reading a lot of stuff like that on, on bodybuilding.com. And like, I, yeah. remember, I remember there being a point where like, I was so concerned with my own training because yeah. I, I hadn't yeah. taken a deload in like a year. And I was like, <laughs> wait, I was like, am I missing out on gains? Cause I haven't deloaded. And that's the other is thing. My bicep going like, to fall off. <laughs> yeah. Like is my bicep going to fall off. Am I going to die? Um, but like most people are taking deloads, whether they realize it or not, like almost everybody goes on vacation once a year somewhere. And usually your training yeah. is dog shit when you travel. I don't care who you are, unless you're the rock and you're like, you have a, a I mean, a gym, wherever you want to go, you probably have somebody move a gym with you when you, whenever you travel, um, you know, maybe, but most people are going to be having like a few days, you know, four or five days in a row. Where they're not going to be training or they're not going to have access to their normal, uh, equipment. So like. Most people, life will happen and they're going to take a natural deload. Um, yeah. So especially with like gen pop clients, like that's kind of something to always consider is like they're going to have work come up. They're going to have travel come up and they're going to go on vacation, whatever it may be. Like that's basically a deload. Yeah. And like, don't get me wrong. I, I do think that again, that they do have utility and like I do program them from for some athletes, but I think it depends on like why you're giving them and like how yeah. frequently it's not just like a, you shouldn't be basing it off of like, like you mentioned before, like a hypothetical schedule. It's like, oh, it's been eight weeks or like it's been four weeks. So let's give you a deload. Cause you can also give them like a, like a washout period too, where it's like, you're still keeping intensity somewhat higher, but you're just decreasing the overall, like overall volume a little bit. And like, that's would probably be better for somebody that didn't like, let's say they didn't hit, do like a competition, like a mock, right? It's like, you can still keep that intensity in there. Cause then people, some people just like having the top sets in, right? So yeah. they don't like having the top sets out. So if they're like, Hey, I still want my top sets. And then you just take some volume off of their back out, back off work, or just like their secondary work. And then you're still able to like, kind of give them a deload without thinking about giving them a deload. It's more like a mental thing. Yeah, absolutely. Who is your client? What are their goals? And then like, not only who is your client in, in regards to like what they do, like who is your client from like a personal level? Like what do they like? Yeah. Are they somebody who's going to freak out if you take away volume? Or are they somebody who's going to freak out when you take away their top set? Like it, it, all those things have to be considered because, you know, the perfect program doesn't mean shit if your client's not going to do it. Yeah. And that's where like coaching comes in versus training too. It's like, well, if you know that they're going to freak out, if you take away their barbell stuff, then like take away from their secondary or like their accessory stuff, then you're still giving them a, you know, quote unquote, a deload, but they're not probably going to panic as much if you're taking away their, their, some of their secondary or their accessory movements. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so again, with, with the whole like regression thing. So obviously there's a period where you're trying to teach somebody a new movement. 
this is a, this is a question that I was just thinking about. So if somebody's trying to learn a new movement and they're getting like let's say they're getting frustrated with an exercise, but like there's obviously going to be a period where they're just trying to like get good at the movement and group that pattern. Mm-hmm. So how long do you typically like give a client time with an exercise before you're like, okay, we're calling it like we're going to regress this two sets two sets okay yeah it's, it's very much a real-time thing because like part of learning a movement is having confidence in movement so if someone's getting really frustrated and like they're not doing it proficiently our job is to create an environment in which they can do it proficiently so like yeah. depending on why they can't do it if it's a split squat right if they're falling all over the place okay i'm gonna let you do one set okay it looks like shit you're getting frustrated here's a dowel okay it looks it looks iffy still you're getting frustrated here's a second dowel now it looks good you know what i mean like across one two three sets now we're good instead of letting them struggle for three sets and then doing that you know day over day or week over week like we can fix stuff like that in real time if it's something like uh you know more progressive like a back squat like it's a more advanced client and this looks like shit maybe we just move them to a front squat maybe we put a, a safety squat bar on them maybe we just try and find something different that's going to facilitate some confidence before we move back into that movement and then we can kind of unpack some of the technical side of things um and whether it's a stability issue whether it's like uh purely a proficiency issue with the movement and whatever it may be like unpacking the reason for it um and attacking that while we give them something to get confident in but yeah for most people like as far as like gen pop clients go as far as like movements like i just said like the split squat um, those are things that we can adjust in, in real time and, and we don't have to wait days or weeks to fix it. You know, we can give them yeah. confidence that day. Yeah. I think there's just a bit of a, like an, an issue when it comes to like progressing or regressing that typically they'll be, one of them will be drawn out a little bit too long. So it'll be like, okay, well, it's like they won't regress a client quickly enough or they will progress a client too quickly. It's like, there's kind of, again, like you said, that fine line of like, Okay, I've given you some time to like try it and work through it, you know, physically and mentally. Cause I think for them, a lot of it is just, again, at that point, it's a mental thing of them not being able to set like organize properly. Um, but then, you know, like making that call in the session and being able to be like, okay, like this isn't going to get you anywhere. And like, it's probably going to get you a higher chance of injury or risk of injury. So like, let's just give you something to like get you ultimately in a better position. Yeah. Um, and like, to go back on my first point, like this is what it looks like in real time uh, from the other point of view. So we just talked about like progressing somebody. So let's say I bring, I bring in somebody. Uh, I want to have them do a split squat. I want to see how they move unilaterally. Okay. Rep one looks like shit. And also before I even bring them in, it's like, what's their training history? I'm watching them walk into the gym. What do I think they can start with? Cause there's some people that I might start immediately with two dials in their hand. I might start them with full stability and see how they move. There's other people I might start with, with weights in their hand. But anyways, taking somebody in, let's say I'm guessing they can do a split squat. Okay, they're falling over the place. It looks really bad. Instantly, give them a dowel. Okay, it's still kind of iffy. I want them to be doing it perfectly. Second dowel, now it's really good. Now we start progressing from there. Let's say uh, from the other end of the spectrum, someone comes in, I'm like, okay, you know, this this grandma is gonna need two dowels right away. I give her two dowels, she's doing a split squat. It's perfect, looks sick. Okay, let's take one away. Looks great still. Take another one away. Okay, now it looks pretty challenging, but it's still proficient. Okay, that's where we're going to end up. And that's all in one day, right? That's like set one, two, three. Week two, come in, or even day two of the week, come in. Now you know where to start. So it's kind of like 
what real time uh, progression and regression looks like. And then like day to day, that can always change. Right? I, I work with a lot of like shift workers. So for them, depending on how many shifts in a row they've worked, um, how shitty their sleep's been, like there may be days where I, I know they can do like a bilateral loaded Bulgarian split squat. But let's say they come in, they're falling all over the place. Like instantly, we're going to take one of those weights away. We're going to have some stability. We may even change the exercise altogether. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important to, and like it speaks volume to be able to just like change stuff on the fly because I know a lot of people just like, they'll have something set. And I think the fact that like you think that the program's set for that day, you got to follow it. But it's like you have to be able to make those decisions and like, in like when it comes to real life scenarios and in person and like at that point in time to be like, okay, we're not doing that yeah yeah exactly um so just working like in multiple different gyms now like you know i think you had a home gym for a while right um, yeah so there was a point where i was working from like 6 a.m to 8 p.m i would do like uh i would train kids in my garage gym i would drive over to uh total motion which and did do like sports form and stuff all day i do some personal training clients while i was over there and then I would drive back and do like another kid in my garage. And then I do like two or three calls online. And like that was a day, like almost every day of the week for a while. Oof. So when you were, I, don't know, I guess, I guess in general, so with years of just now, like just coaching and being, being a personal trainer, um, what are some of your favorite modalities to use with clients as far as um, I can, and I guess I'll specify on modalities because some people might not know what I mean by that. Um, but just different variations of like equipment that you can use for clients. So like, you know, dumbbell, landmine, um, T-Rex, all that stuff. Um, what do you think is most beneficial for uh, gen pop or for your athletes? What have you seen the most success with? So a lot of it's going to depend on your environment that you're in. So it's cool that I've gotten to train in a few different uh, environments where I've been able to scale kind of what I'm working with. Um, that's like the big question answer is like not what's most optimal but like what do you have so in my garage gym i had uh some dumbbells I had a barbell uh I had a little squat rack with a pull-up bar and then i had a trap bar so mainly it was like utilizing that trap bar utilizing the barbell a lot so a lot of landmine stuff the landmine is one of the most versatile pieces of equipment you can use um, and then i love like gymnastics rings so I essentially treated those like a trx so instead of cable stuff, finding a way to do all that stuff with like gymnastics rings. Um, those are my, my three favorite things for the most part and then dumbbells, of course, uh, versus, you know, at my sports performance gym, we had cables, uh, we had access to some cooler equipment, no, no machines really, but really a lot of the same stuff there. And then now that I'm at DMB iron gym, we have like literally everything you can imagine. So since I have those toys, like I use a lot of machines, I still use free weights, you know, I still. I still use modalities that are going to have a challenge to stability. Um, but even, you know, some days I have people, we have like the barbell club there too. And there's no machines in the barbell club, just all deadlift platforms, squat racks. We have a lot of turf. We have a sled, uh, yeah. trap bars. So days that I'm, people want to stay down there, I kind of just go back to my, my roots and use landmine a lot, use a trap bar, use a sled, um, you know, more minimalist mod modalities. So, I mean, it just depends, depends what you have, what you have access to. Uh, it depends who the person is, how that equipment fits them. Um, because again, there's going to be some people who like, they're so weak, like you might have to start them on a machine. It might be like a very regressed, like, you know, bilaterally supported split squat. It might be like a hand supported squat. Uh, and then like, it's like, okay, let's go on the quad extension. Let's go on the leg press. Like you're pretty weak. Let's get you strong. So we get you moving better. Yeah. And like the thing with machines is like, it'll do a lot of the organizing for them. 
So like it'll put them into a position where they just have to focus on like output and like, I hate the word, but like feeling what they're supposed to be feeling versus trying to like have them on something less externally stabilized where it's like, okay, now they got to try to organize and feel their quads. It's like, okay, well, let's just put you onto a machine where you can just feel your quads. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's kind of like, um, you know, just putting pieces of puzzle together, what you have, or should even like, um, what's the cooking show where they get random ingredients and they have to make something out of it. Chopped. Uh, yeah. Is that what it's called? <laughs> I think yeah. so, man. I'm not sure. I'll make it shit on that. Anyways, it's like, okay, you're opening your <laughs> basket. This is what you have. You have to make something out of it. Let's make something out of it. You know, like yeah. you're going to make a good yeah. end product regardless, but like you, depending on what you have, you might have really good ingredients. Yeah, you might have some sick yeah. stuff in there to make something, or you might have like really shitty ingredients to still to make it work. So it's kind of a matter of like, what do you have? How does it fit that person? And how can we get those to, uh, you know, facilitate them reaching their goal they have? Yeah, you know, that, that's that's completely fair. So I think, I, I do think that if you have, you know, learned to be efficient with minimal equipment, then that'll make, you know, you, that'll like be pretty resourceful as a coach. So then at least like once you've actually joined into like a bigger gym, then at that point in time, like you're super lucky. And then you like, you look at all these options of coaching that you have chopped. Okay. It is chopped. It, it is chopped. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not stupid. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a conversation I had with um, like Killian a lot when I worked with him is like, if you can use very few things when you have everything, it's very easy to use everything. Like if yeah. you can, if you can, if you can make it work with just a landmine, then like you can make it work with anything. Yeah, no, I'd have to agree though with you with landmine. I think that's that's an exercise, and I think that's something that we talked about, like when we first met, was like just the utility of a landmine because you can literally use it for pretty much everything, and it's one of those things that like is I'd say often overlooked, especially for home gyms, right? Because when you're trying to mm -hmm. think about something that's taking up minimal space, but then also you can just attach it to a rack that you likely already have. Yeah, for sure. Um, um, my. Yeah. My uh, my computer battery's at ten percent. I have no clue where my charger is. Asshole guest right here. How many questions <laughs> do we have left? We're just wrapping it up, anyways. Okay, cool. Um, if I die on you, I'm sorry. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what would be some advice that you would give to someone that's wanting to get into personal training? Um, this is a question that I get asked a lot, and start. I feel like my 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 yeah, I feel like my answer is always changing, but. Yeah, my advice is just like get skin in the game as quick as you can. So obviously get certified. Once you get certified, start. Find a job somewhere. Find a mentor you can learn from. There's plenty of people like I think like like when looking for a mentor or someone to learn from, like find somebody who's at that next step you want to get to. So like when you're just starting out, like your goal is not to be uh like Jordan Shallow right away. Your goal is probably like, okay, like I wanna be like this top trainer I see at the gym. Yeah. So maybe apply to that gym, try and learn from that guy. Or maybe you know somebody online who's like only been doing it for a few years or someone who's just getting into it and you, you kind of have questions asked them. They can kind of help you uh, go along the path that they did. So it helps to find a mentor in that regard. But mainly like as far as like gaining skills and personal training, just like get rolling with it. I was talking with yeah. – um, I was training with a buddy yesterday who's in the real estate and he played baseball at UPenn. So he played baseball at UPenn, which is like an Ivy League school. I played football at the College of William Mary, which is like a considered like a public public Ivy League school. So like very good schools, and now we both do jobs that require no formal education. You know what I mean? So like, not that those educations didn't benefit us, but like we've learned the most in our careers by just like doing the thing. So 
I mean, it's obviously important if you're starting out in training to have a general understanding of the human body. So if you have no formal education, like educate yourself on that, like sign up for some classes. Even if you're like, you know, in college and you're an econ major, like sign up for some anatomy classes, sign up for some applied uh, biomechanics, like try and take some initiative in that regard. Um, but yeah, like get a general understanding and then just get rolling. And then like the questions will come, you'll, you'll figure out what matters more if you just start with skin in the game, as opposed to starting trying to figure everything out in the textbook first. Yeah. I think the sooner you realize that like people aren't textbooks, then you'll be, you'll be better off. Yeah, exactly. Cause there's a lot of stuff you learn in the textbook or in school that like doesn't matter when you actually get your hands dirty. There's a lot that does matter too, but like when you're only in the textbook, you can't distinguish between those two things. When you're actually like in the gym working with somebody in real time, you kind of figure out what actually matters and how you can actually apply that knowledge. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely good advice. Cause it's, you know, it's all about trying to get time and time into the industry. And that's why most people I talk to, I'm like, try to just jump into like a commercial gym. Like if you have like a commercial gym near your place, like just try to get into it. Cause like, that'll probably give you the best experience that you can actually get. Cause there's so much exposure with people and clients and you get like a wide array of people that mm-hmm. you just like, you learn what works and you like learn how to troubleshoot and problem solve really quickly. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's always my best piece of advice. But, um, we will wrap this one up so that the laptop doesn't die on you. <laughs> um, um, so where can people stay up to date with, with you and um, what you post and like what you have coming up? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, so mainly on Instagram. So uh, at Nick Ridpath underscore, that's my handle. Uh, I post almost every day. Do Q and A three times a week. Uh, I answer every DM that I get. So if you ever have any questions, reach out to me there. Um, also, I am uh, working on some newsletter stuff potentially. So you can sign up for the prescript newsletter. If you want to hear some of my thoughts there. Um, and then I have my website as well, but uh, I haven't done much on that in a while. So reach out to me on Instagram. Uh, you can sign up for the prescript newsletter. I'm not even affiliated with prescript, but um, my thoughts will be on there. Yeah. Yeah. And if they're following me, they, they likely know that I'm also an advocate for prescript. So. Right. You're wearing a prescript shirt right now. Or the shirt. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks again. Well, I see you in May. Are you going to Toronto? Yeah, I guess you won't go because they they've been doing one close to you. Yeah, I'm trying to decide if I want to go or not because that's going to be at uh, Pure again, right? Right. Yeah. I'll have to see. I'd I'd love to go. Yeah, we'll see. I'll see you there. Saluji will be there, and Saluji will be there. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. the whole squad. That'd be sick. Okay. But uh, thanks again, man, for coming on. I know that obviously you're you're a busy guy, so I appreciate you making the time and giving some of your insight on just progressions, regressions, and I think there'll be a lot of useful information for people that are maybe just like getting new into PT or even some stuff to consider if you find that you're like hitting your head in sessions or um, just trying to figure out what to do with the client. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate it, man. Of course.